welcome to Beyond Beckdale, the podcast about film and feminism. I'm your host, Contrera. is this season of the podcast's gaming episode where we talk about the role of female characters and games makers in the computer gaming industry. This time round, I was incredibly lucky to interview Dr Esther Wright who has a PhD in a history stroke gaming arena Um, You have to listen to the podcast for her to properly explain it. But um, she has been studying for the past few years gaming from a very feminist perspective and has published research that is very eye-opening in terms of how female characters are represented in historical computer games, particularly in the Rockstar gaming universe. You don't have to understand about the computer games in order to listen to the episode because I think you'll get an idea of the feel of the themes. And Esther is such a good speaker and knowledgeable person on the subject. And there's a few laughs too along the way. And now for the episode. Part of the reason why we're speaking today, which is your PhD to me is absolutely fascinating because it deals (laughs) with um, two things that I'm very interested in, obviously women, um, and secondly, uh, how they are portrayed or or work within video games. So um, maybe we could start with uh, the title of your PhD and maybe a bit about it, what you found, what you enjoyed about it and and that kind of thing, because I think it's just fascinating. Yeah, I mean, so the, the title, to be as broad as possible, um, of my PhD is Rockstar Games in American History. And it's it's interesting because like, so many um, academic books or theses tend to have that title that has the kind of um, the colon, they have something after the colon, you know, that can be, you know, something about much more specifics about what the topic was. And when I was sort of when I was writing the thesis and when I was getting to the end and you know, trying to work out like, what is it that I have like after the, after the call, I'm like, what do I, you know, <laughs> how do I nuance this out? I was like, I don't really want to. I just, my thesis in the broadest possible terms is about rockstar games and American history. So I just kept it. And I think it's sort of worked to my benefit in, in a little, in a kind of, yeah, well, in some ways, because people just telling people that that's what it's called and that's what I do elicits a lot of very kind of interesting and different responses from people. Um, but yeah, like the actual nitty gritty of what I do is funny enough, looking at the way certain um, video games developed and published by Rockstar Games 
have represented um, US history. Um, and my thesis was more specifically concerned with Red Dead Redemption and a little bit of Red Dead 2, which came out last year, and L.A. Noir, and then a couple of the GTA games that have been passing reference. Um, and then even more specific, what I was really trying to do and what I became much more interested in as I was going along was not just how um, 20th century American history was represented in these games, but actually what the promotion of these games was telling um potential players or Rockstar fans about them and how Rockstar went about using different kinds of promotional materials like uh, trailers or developer interviews or blog posts and things like that to generate expectations for um, authenticity and really to perform the role of historian and to sort of tell players what to expect and how their games were like, you know, so for example, how Red Dead Redemption fits into this broader cultural history of the American Western or how early noir, you know, fits into this broader history of film noir and how they are truthful in some ways to the periods in which they're representing. So turn of the century, uh, turn of the 20th century American West in Red Dead Redemption and this kind of distinctly post-war period of Los Angeles history in early noir. Um, so it became much more about looking at why it's important for us to consider promotional material and the, the, the discourse and the conversations or the, the, the marketing has been essentially around historical video games um, as, as an important part of what kind of representation of the past we're getting in these games themselves. Um, and then an even more specific level of that is the major case that I used was the representation of women. And as a sort of final um, aspect of my, of my thesis, it really brought together everything that I've been talking about. So the problems with genre, really, and the kind of way that genre is used to create certain expectations um, about, you know, what is an authentic Western, what is an authentic film noir, and really dealing with the problems of historiography of not only these these broader generic film and cultural um, you know, formations, but also the problems we have with the historiography of the American West and you know, the historiography of post-war American society and how women factor into that and really how these are both used to sell the games and not only well, not only that, obviously, just to, to portray women and how women are placed within these historic worlds in these games and really the consequences of, I guess, using a particular kind of cultural social history to generate expectations of authenticity. And there are many consequences <laughs> to that, obviously, um, as I'm sure you can imagine. <laughs> I um, I can't help but want to ask you, come on then, tell us, <laughs> tell us what you found. Tell us what you found that was terrible. And I'm sure that's probably, like, not the case and not everything <laughs> is necessary because... The problem is, is that when you're all, you know, me sitting in my ivory tower enlightened in 2019, there, um, you can't help but think that in historical games, and particularly with the idea that um, culturally games have been uh, always targeted to greater number of male players than female players, that mm. there may well be a kind of male gazy or, you know, putting women in a supporting uh, part because not only that's um, what male game players might want because they want the, the, there's only so many players you can have as a uh, you know protagonist lead character that you can play um, and also the fact that if they are reflecting 
um, the culture of the time and the historical position of women that um, it's not necessarily going to look that good. So I suppose um, I, I, I'm going down a little misandrous path here. Can you tell me how, like, how, how you actually... What, did the gaming companies, did Rockstar change things in a positive way or, or was it reflective of how you saw American history at the time, for example, particularly in Red Dead? I mean, oh, there's layers to the answer. <laughs> <laughs> I gave you like 20 <laughs> questions there as well. It was my little diatribe where I'm like, I'm trying not to be sexist, but basically hit me with it. How bad is it? <laughs> well, I mean, if you think about just Rockstar in general, um, I mean, I, they're a company that I'm just, I've been endlessly fascinated with and hence why I spent so much time researching them. But their games sort of unashamedly and, you know, as per the, um, the kind of the, the, the declarations of people who are, you know, executives in this company are about masculinity and they are about men. And, yeah. you know, they've constantly been level with questions of when are you going to have a female protagonist, and, you know, all this kind of stuff. Um, so it's no surprise why they pick um, genres to kind of speak to like noir or like, you know, kind of gangster um, popular culture or westerns. Um but it's not just so the way that women get incorporated into their games it, it is very much especially for red dead redemption um there's a quote that you know is is used by the protagonist john marston when he's talking about both his his wife who appears late in the game and the kind of the central female character bonnie mcfarlane who is this i mean Supposedly, this kind of proto-feminist. She's a female head of a ranch. She's kind of, you know, very uh, rough and ready. She occupies this very, I guess, traditionally male role, or that's how it's portrayed. That she is stepping into kind of like a man's shoes. And and, and is that portrayed. true? Is is that? I'm guessing that was true for the time. Yeah, that women didn't didn't run ranches in the same way historically at that time. Well, not really. I mean, and like, I guess this is this is the problem is the fact that you know these characters are portrayed and literally said that they are women in a man's world. Like these are women who are entirely in a man's world. But the West, the American West, I mean, obviously there is much more nuance to it than that. And they, you know, women would have had to occupy lots of different roles because of the nature of kind of westward expansion. Um, and you know, there, there is there's plenty of kind of I guess scholarly literature for people who who are interested in the way that um actually the, the sort of the spaces of the american west while they were being colonized essentially allowed for women to occupy much more kind of fluid gender identity than you know just being oh you know like the the school mom or the virgin which is kind of like the classic Western. <laughs> not the not the school mom or the virgin, the um the, the sorry the whore the virgin you know like the school mom or the saloon prostitute yes. that kind of thing um but yeah it's and and I think it's it's interesting what happened when Red Dead Two came out last year. Um, there was a lot of promotion about the fact that it was going to be much more than just you being the solo man riding across the plains, which is basically what Red Dead Redemption One was for all mm-hmm. that I read. You know, the game, and you know, it, it is about it's John Marston's story and. So yeah, when they're marketing, when Rockstar were marketing Red Dead Two, it was much more, you know, look at all these women, um, and you know, they were they were huge, like billboards and stuff around the corner from from where I live that had, you know, this big image of Sadie Adler, who is this the kind of one of the major female characters in the game, as this like gun toting, yeah, really ready to go, you know, female cowboy, female outlaw. But you know, when you actually get into the game, 
it doesn't reflect the level of supposed inclusivity that was being sought. Um, you know, you get into the game and, you know, I'm like playing this game, like, okay, we're Sadie, like, you know, come on, I want to, you know, I want to hear more about this character. And you end up in one of the very early missions kind of coming across her after, you know, her husband's been murdered and she's basically being locked in a basement and it's, you know, having implied that she's... It's very stressful. It's right at the beginning because I I know much more about uh, Red Dead Redemption 2 because I played that recently and I don't know much about Red Dead uh, Redemption and um, that's like, yeah, at the beginning of the game and I was like, oh, here we go again. And yeah, Yeah. it's not... I don't think they really... They don't actually show any, like, violence towards her but you, you get the impression that that something may have happened towards her because then, or something might happen if she doesn't go away with the, with Dutch's yeah. group. Yeah. So. It's sort of, yeah, it's, it's almost as bad in a way as, as showing it because she, she then becomes another one of these female characters who has to undergo some kind of trauma and use some kind of violent, you know, awful trauma to become the character that she is. Yes. You know, and, and then the only way that she can, you know, become this hardened bounty hunter by the end of the game is because she like completely throws off any kind of notions of romance and femininity and occupy this entirely male role because of course it was only a male role and all this kind of stuff. And but, she goes in the other direction as well. Like not only mm-hmm. does she b- become this gun-toting what have you, she, she becomes, I would say, more more vicious than Arthur mm. and some of the other characters, almost like a kind of doubling down on the, well, I don't care yeah. about anything now, and now I'm not really about mercy. Because it started, there's a bit about revenge, isn't there? And that's one of the plot lines. But yeah. then it kind of, like you said, it kind of like solidifies into her actual character. Yeah, because for the most part, for, for a long period within the game, she's just sitting at camp this kind of broken thing and doesn't really have much to do or say and then all of a sudden you take her on a mission and she buys a pair of trousers <laughs> and then decides like literally buys a pair of trousers I laughed and, <laughs> and and then decides she wants to like take revenge on all the other schools who killed her husband you know so it's like oh you know it, it it's it would it is it is funny but it's funny in a kind of like oh my god I th- I, I'm sure rocks are like Honestly, they thought they were writing something really like, and I mean, I, this is, you know, I, I try not to be entirely kind of like negative about the game. <laughs> like, oh, you know, they're just completely terrible towards women. But, you know, and it's, it's interesting for, you know, there are much more, there are many more women characters in this game than the first Red Dead, which in which there's like three major female characters. And, you know, they even they, and then they've kind of like shunted into different positions and entirely in relationship to, to men. Um, but again, you know, you're you're at camp, and and I spent when I was playing the game the first time around, I was kind of spending a lot of time in camp trying to understand kind of um, or get a sense of the environmental storytelling and how they were trying to like historicize the game and how they were trying to build up this feeling, you know, this game that was supposedly like the most realistic game ever and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> um, and I just just having conversations with with these women and realizing like there's just like what is there to them? They appear in like the odd mission every now and then. Um, and other than that, they, they kind of, they, you know, these little mini, mini mission things where they ask you or one of the, Mary Beth or Tilly or um, I think I think that's it actually, you know, asks you to come and sit with them and like you, you get a chance as Arthur Morgan to reflect on, you know, the kind of outlaw that you're being and if you're killing too many people. And, you know, they just like, they become these emotional labor systems. Like they, they don't have any kind of sense. It's not a conversation. It's just a a way of the game or a mechanic that the game is using to check in with the, the mental state of Arthur Morgan and it's using these women as the kind of like the means for getting to 
ask her to talk about his emotions because God forbid you should talk about his emotions to the male with a man. So yeah, I um, yeah, it's I funny. I remember that bit in the game actually, and it was like the, the irony being, I was like, well, this is boring, but and I wonder if I felt that as a female gamer because for me, I would go and talk to someone if I needed to to talk to someone. It wasn't something that I needed to have. Um, yeah kind of paved out in terms of like an actual part of the gameplay whereas I think naturally women um, if they want to talk about something they might talk about it doing any number of other missions or other things it would be because emotional discussion of feelings is something that could come up at any point whereas this seemed to categorize it as oh now we have to put emotional feelings in a box and guess what yeah there's a female character who's got nothing else in the in the game unless it's her specific mission so we can just have that I I found it a really weird thing that I didn't really want to do because I'm like what has this got to do with pushing things forward so I I wonder I should probably ask some male gamers actually whether they utilized it because it might be that they thought it was a good thing because maybe they were questioning um, Arthur's morality and the decisions and obviously you can play the game in a kind of white hat black hat way can't you where you, yeah. you decide to be uh, nastier or kill people when you don't have to and that kind of affects your um, uh, your ability to like you know the, the function and, and changes the storyline but for me personally it was never something I needed mapped out which I find quite yeah. interesting that Rockstar wanted it to do. It's so right what you said about the camp as well. It's so funny because it was like everybody had a designated role and there were so there were actually a fair few female characters but not really doing much, just cooking, <laughs> fixing. Yeah. yeah, I mean, this is, it's interesting what you, you're saying, like what, what is the point of these little moments? Because yeah. Rockstar, or, you know, in, in, in my opinion or my experience of kind of like studying Rockstar's games, the the way that missions are structured, where you, you always have that period where you're riding, you know, whether it's in Reddit, Reddit or Eleanor or GTA, where you're you're riding some kind of transportation, you're getting to the next mission location, and you are having a conversation yes. with another character for the most part. And they are major kind of world building, story building um, moments that they are literally the way, you know, you can, they have such rich scripts and they are telling you what is happening. Um, and, and they, you know, they're not open to interpretation. Really, you know, it doesn't really matter what who you're playing as, whether you're playing as black hat or white hat. Um, yeah. This is this is the narrative that Rockstar programs. But when you get these moments, yeah, where you're asked to sit down at camp, I and I always found that like they never reflected what I, the way I was actually playing the game because I am such a like square. You know, I'm going around you know, the. the West, like being like the nicest. Me I too. <laughs> well, I, I, wanted, I wanted the trophy that that was like one way or the other, and I was like, I know myself. I can definitely get the trophy on PS4 for being a good person, yeah. not for being a bad person. Yeah, and then I'm sitting down with you know like Mary Beth and saying, oh, I'm just killing all these people. Like, <laughs> You're oh, like, I'm not. All that's fascinating because that must have been a decision a creative decision made that assumed that most people or a majority of people would be playing towards that side rather than towards the fewer heinous murders side and again that there may well be a gender bias there but I, I realized that that wasn't something that you were studying you okay Arthur you want to talk Yes. 
What's been going on with you? I don't know. I... What? Been acting kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. How so? I've been killing a lot. I mean, innocent folk. I don't know why. Yeah, that's bad, Arthur. That's real bad. I know. I just... Well, you know me. Sure. I know you. But then you go act all crazy. Yeah, but I've always been crazy. Uh, maybe about L.A. Noir. I know less about that. Is is How did that come up in terms of the, the gender roles? Well, in, in many ways, actually, much more... Um, I wasn't, I guess, saying bad. Like, I had a lot more kind of strange and negative things to say about it, I guess. But I think <laughs> part of that is due to the fact that it's obviously relying almost solely on, on film noir and kind of noirish tropes. Yes. Um, so you kind of have this split of, of different kind. you know, you have two basically different kinds of female characters. You either have women characters who are literally um, the Black Dahlia, so Elizabeth Short, and Elizabeth Short, you know, the very kind of infamous murder of Elizabeth Short yes. in 1907, Los Angeles, is, is, is incorporated into this fictionalised version of Los Angeles as a major um, part of the story. So when you are playing as Cole Phelps, the, the main protagonist, you're promoted to homicide and you're now investigating a series of really kind of gruesome murders of women. And, but, you know, they're Yay! all... Yay! Sort of, <laughs> yeah, of course, because who doesn't need women as an object of investigation? Again, um, <laughs> so it's... It become it's it's very much contextualized with oh the black dahlia is going on at the same time um, and uh, supposedly all of these real sorry all of the murders in, in the game are based on fictionalized versions of real murders that did actually happen in Los Angeles within this this few year period um, but yeah you know and as as you're investigating them the problem is that on the one hand Cole is in, is kind of convinced and as time goes on you become more and more convinced that they are all um, the, the 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 killer is all the same person is probably the same person who killed Elizabeth Short. But to complete each of these individual cases and to sort of like close them, you end up having to investigate um, the the men around these women, and <laughs> that is where that is where the problems lie essentially because you have this this um, partner, your kind of LAPD partner, is this kind of like serial divorcee who is basically just completely misogynist and thinks women, you know, need a beating to be kept in their place. <laughs> so he's talking about all the, the fact that, um, oh, you know, it's always the husband or the lover and, oh, well, these women were out drinking, so, you know, they probably deserve, you know, <gasps> Shocking. You know, yeah. yeah you know, this kind of just very like, oh, my God, okay. So you're investigating all these crimes and all the, usually the husbands or the, or the lovers or I think in some cases, you know, some random people who, you know, had some kind of psychosexual motive for the murder. Mm -hmm. But you're, you're charging all of these men as if to say that these are legitimate, believable reasons for them to have killed their wives. And then at the end of that, you know, that um, section of the game where you finally get promoted away from homicide, it's like, oh, well, it was all this guy, the one guy who is a serial killer who also killed Liz Shaw, and it all gets covered up because he's like the the half-brother of someone in Congress or something like that, you know? So yeah. this is really unsatisfying. It kind of, it speaks to two very kind of awful 
stereotypes one that you know women go out and get drunk and basically deserve what they get being killed and Mm. whatever and then on the other hand the fact that you know the husband is usually responsible but it also feeds into this and something that was actually part of the the promotion for the game when they were developing interviews with the game's writer and director Brandon McNamara of um, then Team Bondi he was asked to kind of contextualize what this period in American history was like. And he started talking about it as this time of social tension where men come back from the war and, you know, women have you know, got all this newfound freedom and they've gone into the factories and everything's amazing for women and they don't want to go back into the home. And it's like, how, how will the genders ever coexist again? And it's just not an accurate representation of the way in which kind of women and men were, you know, were coexisting, obviously, in, in this period in um in post-war post-war American society. So again, that is another excuse for the fact that all these women turn up to murder. The fact that, oh, this is social tensions and post-war, they've got all these freedoms and now they're going out and getting drunk and you know. So it's this just big sort of combination of really outmoded um stereotypes and misimpressions of what it what it was like not only in that period of American history but also what noir is and that leads into the fact that you have obviously the use of the, the femme fatale trope but it's yeah. not the character who is supposed to be the femme fatale who is this kind of German lounging called Elsa Lickman um is not really a femme fatale like she has all the kind of the visual coding of being a femme fatale and the way you know she's you see her stood behind the microphone in this jazz club singing and she is just kind of I guess responsible for the downfall of the protagonist but she you know the the, the actual character type of the femme fatale is so disputed and contested and complicated anyway as it even appeared in original yeah you know, I say quote unquote original film noir, the films that have now been categorized as film noir, yeah. because obviously another problem on top that film noir is a post constructed category. It's not an actual thing that was being done or intentionally created um, in, in, you know, in the classic Hollywood period of studios. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's very much, she's tr- she's, they try and portray her as this classic femme fatale of, of, of the, you know, the classic studio era, but she's much more. Um, a product of neo noir's versions of, the, of of what the femme fatale, femme fatale yes. is. Usually, this woman who is a victim. She doesn't really have any of her own strength. She's just perpetually abused, and she is kind of the downfall of the male character. But she's not exerting her power or becoming like the Spider Woman or anything like that. It's not kind of um, you know, it's not a double indemnity or any kind of that sort of mm-hmm. character. Um, so let me get this straight then. So just so so uh, me and the listeners can understand it. So in terms of Elaine Noir the Gay, there are two glaring differences between what actually happened or was kind of the, the cultural landscape and the game itself. So the game is suggesting that um, women only fall under different stereotypes. 
uh, any mm. any 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 woman, and it's it's a Madonna whore kind of thing, and that yeah. that is that is shown by doing things other than being a traditional homemaker. Whether that is leave the house without your husband, go and have a drink, or or do anything where you might be displaying behaviour which is not as this kind of weird ladylike understanding. So the so the first yeah. thing is there, which is that actually in reality, because we were in a post war period women were actually having to leave the house anyway and were getting jobs and were doing things like that and it didn't um it didn't culturally signify that they were doing anything which was uh like uh against their against their role in in the home or, or the the role of women in society so that seems to be the the, the first point and the second point is that um uh, w- th- these women were gruesomely. A number of women were gruesomely murdered, and that their f- and the detective and the sources and and everything else around it. Everybody would suggest that the only possible cause for such murder was a related to the fact that they're doing things which are outside of what the gender norms were, and b that it was by a man who is. Uh, um, like reacting to that uh, because women are seen as chattels I'm, I'm, I'm guessing and therefore not they, 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 they are deemed it's deemed appropriate that a man might be able to do that or is expected to do that if something goes wrong I think I've made it really horribly negative there but um <laughs> but, but 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 it seems very much to me that the important thing that you found in your research for this game is that that wasn't reflective of the actual lives people were living generally day to day um but the, it's but the cultural stereotypes were probably there but actually it was a result of the game makers and the film industry let's say and the tv industry and everybody creating this noir which was full of tropes of the like private dick and the femme fatale and, and all of that where everybody was kind of again pushed towards the end of a continuum yeah, that, I, mean, yeah. I, mean, I mean, it's, it's yeah, it's the fact that because they've relied so much on these sort of typically, um, I guess typically, or these, these very noir conventions and framing to tell this story, it, it has resulted in from the, the continuation or the perpetuation of particular stereotypes. The fact that, you know, it, it, is, it is a much more nuanced picture of not only women going into work in, in the 19, 1930s, 1940s, um, and then, you know, leaving work again after the war. Yeah. Like, that is a very, very complicated picture. Like, it's not just sort of every woman went into the factories in 19, you know, 1941, 42, you know, and then they left or they didn't leave or they, you know, it's, it's there's a whole kind of um, body of, you know, historians, um, mainly female historians, actually, who were challenging in the kind of 19... 1980s onwards, this, this stereotype of like, oh, the, the war was just great for women, and then <laughs> this was like the, the, the you know the, the thing that sparked towards the feminist movement and stuff. And actually, a lot of women, you know, even though um, the proportion of the American population was steadily rising from sort of the, the depression onwards, it you know it, it didn't mean that all of a sudden there was this kind of ginormous leap, and, and a lot of women didn't go into work, you know, at this time. Um, and a lot of women kind of willingly left work when the war ended because it was still kind of, um, they still wanted to have family. There was still the sense that they wanted to be, it was very family oriented. And that was what you did. 
But this game basically portrays it as this time where, yeah, you know, every, no no woman wanted to kind of have that happy, comfortable, lovely family life. And these women who then stepped out of those narrow domestic confines were the ones who ended up getting murdered. And all the women who are still alive are just these, you know, ridiculous star, starry-eyed girls who come from these little hick towns in America and go to Hollywood <laughs> and, you know, want to make it in in the studios in pictures yeah i think that, um, yeah you've really hit the nail on the head there thanks for that because you're basically saying in reality culturally at the time the so-called emancipation of women may may well not have been an actual emancipation and also may not have been something that women were welcoming so um that's where um, uh, factual history is more interesting than gaming, which is quite funny when you think about how maybe these games, if they focused on the kind of complexity of it, particularly like a lot of Rockstar games, they you know they're not just about like bashing someone over the head. You've got to fulfil missions yeah. and you have to do some detective work and you have to problem solve, which is what people like as much as they do just shooting someone. You okay? Yeah. He was a good man, my Jakey. We was always sweet on one another. I'm sure. Yeah. I miss him every day, every moment. Oh, they turned me into a monster, Arthur. But my memories of him, they still pure. I ain't even got that. Aside from my Jake, you're the best man I've known. I know the company you keep. The competition ain't too fierce. Did you find anything that was pleasantly surprising or that, that did work in terms of putting forward the feminist cause in these games? Uh, <laughs> no. no, next question. <laughs> I, I, uh, I mean, I, it, it, it's, it's just as with most things about Rockstar's games, and, and to be honest, all video games, there are it's so they're so politically and ideologically ambiguous because their games and I guess I think like most mainstream kind of you know, these triple A games they want to have their cake and eat it too and they want to be able to say that they've put in things and you know there are interesting things about you know for example Red Dead Two where you know they are alluding to the sort of um, the movement for women's suffrage. At this kind of the turn of the twentieth century, and you know, you are seeing suffragettes kind of campaigning for the campaigning rather for the right to vote, um, and, and it's like, yeah, you know, they they are including thing, you know, um, women of color and their experiences, you know, so it's not as if these things are never being included. It's just the fact that where they are included, they are almost entirely sidelines to this very kind of normative representation of white male white masculinity on on the kind of the american frontier yes and you know when they do include you know, the character of a suffragette 
So, you know, you go into Saint-Denis in the city and there's the suffragette yes. character, you know, going votes for women and all that. You know, she's competing with the guy who's spouting off about eugenics or... Um, she's you know, hyper-aggressive as well. I always remember these characters for like... It, it's like she gets very annoyed with Arthur but very quickly. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like... Well, that, I actually... I, cause I started the game again um, sort of, well, a while back, but, you know, I've been playing to it much more slowly rather than like the ridiculous fast-paced game I was trying to do when I first played it. But I went... I was kind of walking around Saturday and she was there and I, I listened again to the conversation that they had because obviously she says... Oh, but you know, we vote for women. He's like, oh yeah, that sounds fine to me. And she's like, oh, progressive. And he said something like, Arthur says something like, um, oh well, anyone who's um, you know stupid enough to want a vote can have a vote. And it's like <laughs> that's not really this kind of pro-feminist statement. It's just this again, once again, being like super cynical about the, the idea of American democracy. And and again, just you know, on the surface, kind of you know, suggesting support for early kind of you know suffrage movements. But then, like, throwing it back in the face of the character and, and the game as I'm just rubbishing it. It's like, all these games are so obsessed with being, quote-unquote, satirical or ironic in some way mm. that when they do try and seriously um, portray something, it's always done that kind of leaves a bad taste in your mouth, that it's not done in a kind of entirely heartfelt way, and it's always, it's always a kind of a catch, and there's always some kind of cynicism behind it. That's one of those things, isn't it? Because being an outlaw and being in the dying days of the West, which I feel is what particularly Red Dead Redemption 2 is showing, um, mm. it, it actually, like on one side, I think, well, that actually probably is the attitude that most of these people in the gang would feel because they are so far removed from being part of polite society and democracy and benefiting from it um, that why on earth would they agree to it so on one hand I think Arthur's probably that's his that's probably true to his nature but when you only have one story that's about voting and politics really give or take a couple of other things with the mayor in Saint-Denis that I I remember where they're doing shady work for him um uh then you're then you're basically yeah you're sacrificing the women that the kind of the female character there is a sacrificial lamb for yeah. Arthur's greater point about democracy. Um, yeah. But I suppose maybe they tried. I'm trying to be optimistic here and say that, um, you know, yeah. they tried by even giving the story and, and Sadie's trousers and, and and all of that. I wonder if you if you come up against the same thing as me, which is um, I have been leaning in in the last year. Actually, it's a newer thing for me. I've been leaning towards recognizing myself in protagonists, male protagonists, people who don't look anything like me, particularly on a gender basis, and. Um, I think that's something that we can't get to yet because we need to get to parity before we can all start. You know, that's that's the that's the argument for um, uh, any actor or actress playing any part. Or, or maybe we can use it here and we can say voicing any any role in a video game, for example. Like I've talked about Tomb Raider a lot before, and I'm guessing you've got a lot of non. Um, like uh, native Mayan, what have you, in the latest Tomb Raider game, voicing characters because those people don't, you know, effectively exist anymore. But um, I now think that 
like I, I I was disappointed with particularly with Red Dead Redemption Two, some of the ways that that women were portrayed because I found it boring. But it didn't stop me from identifying with John or Arthur or any of the other lead characters. Mm. Um, is that something that? Is that something that you do or do you think the better approach would be just to simply have female protagonists? Well, this, I I guess, is like the the, the general truism that isn't actually a truism that, you know, women, women can or women rather are expected to identify with male characters, whereas men are not expected to identify with female characters. Yes. That's the the argument for having male characters. Um, I mean, I, I, find that I always have like I I've never had an issue with playing games that have male protagonists and and because I mean partly because I have no choice really yeah (laughs) you You and I talking about this might be the wrong two people because (laughs) we are the minority faced with having to identify whereas maybe if we got some guys and said you how do you feel playing a female character anyway sorry carry on it's I think I think there are just there is there's weird levels to this because on the one hand you, you know like I said you have I, I don't I've never had a problem with it some of some of my favorite games have um you know male protagonists so it's not as if I, I'm, I'm entirely against it I, I think it's it is there's a different kind of um identification there's a different kind of experience when you are playing a game as, as a female protagonist or when you have a choice as to who you can play as so yeah. one, of, one of my one of my absolute favorite games is Fallout 3 and you know I, I just I love the world and everything like that but in the, the Fallout games or even the Mass Effect trilogy the original Mass Effect mm. trilogy choose the gender of your character and okay it's not it's not perfect and you know having just male female binary but you know we are starting to see see past that sort of stuff now mm-hmm. I guess in, in little ways but having the ability to not have this preformed character that you do actually feel as though you are sort of shaping it to yourself. Because, you know, if you're, if you're playing, um, you know, Red Dead 2 and you're playing as Arthur, there is this sense, or, you know, you're playing like The Witcher 3 or something yes. and you're playing as Geralt. There's a set, you, you have this this weird talked about, like, oh, it's it's my Geralt or my Arthur Morgan. You know, so you do have this sense of you are um, able to control it and shape that character's actions in, in a certain way. But there is a difference when, you know, it's it's not a kind of not 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 preformed character, but you have much more agency. I suppose, I mean agency is a is a terrible word to use with games because it's just <laughs> a messy idea of like what what is agency? But I don't know. I some of my favourite games, and actually some of the some of the oldest games that I love um have have female protagonists. Like, you know, again one of my absolute favorite games is beyond good and evil which is just oh, kind of, yes <laughs> yeah i, I mean, remember you know, that <laughs> i it's it's one of those games where you you, you tell people they either go what are you talking about or they're like oh what you know this amazing like fabled kind of like cult i mean i don't even know if it is a cult game it was it was apparently a massive commercial flop but a big critical success and oh. like it's 50 50 years so where the people have actually heard of it but it's you know this 2003 game where you're playing as a female photojournalist yeah and i remember getting i had a p had a ps2 must have been sort of around like 2002 2003 time and had had, had this PlayStation 2 and we, me and my brother got this demo disc and it had like one level from beyond good and evil on it and we played that one level 
about 400 times because we just loved this thing so much until my parents finally ended up buying us the game, the actual game of Beyond Good and Evil for Christmas. And I, like, I still, I still play that game. I know it like the back of my hand. I must have completed it like upwards of ten times. What was but, the level? What, 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 what was so good about the level that you kept playing it? <laughs> well, it was. I think it was just. I think it was partly the character and partly what you could do with the character. It was. Mm. It was the one level in the game where you're going through. I can't even remember. It's it one of the factories, and you're having to sneak past um, <laughs> the alpha sections, and you know you're having to take photos of. The, the evidence of human trafficking that's going on in, the, in these alpha sections um, in these factories um, and, and now now that I've played the game I realise they mash two levels together so you do like a little bit of sneaking and then they mash together a bit where you do a bit of action you have to run away um, from like the main alpha sections guy <laughs> and I just it was I mean it was, must have been a very formative early kind of gaming or early-ish gaming experience for me like being able to play not only as, as a female character but also um such a cool female character who her job was like you know to be a photojournalist and uncovering this like you know big conspiracy and it's such a great game and it's I think it's a game that holds up yeah definitely I think you're Um, right as well that we must have known even when we didn't you know I certainly wasn't thinking about feminism when I was playing that because it was a long time ago um uh we must have seen some kind of self-identification I've got a couple of things to say just before I forget so firstly you've just reminded me about sneaking so I'm making my way through Breath of the Wild at the moment and um I've done quite a lot now I've seen quite a lot I believe um of the game and I was playing this one bit that I just kept dying and dying and dying and then it suddenly occurred to me that the game was trying to tell me to stop going straight into battle with characters and yeah. actually to sneak fly past them and then I did yeah. it in like 30 seconds and I'm like oh my god I've already been like um you know browbeaten into just going into fighting in order to do something instead of actually thinking and I was like oh that's taught me something about how I'm playing these games in a kind of aggressive get it done way but I think that's because I'm never ever really interested in fighting it just isn't my thing unless it's something like doom which segues into my next point which is a lot of games as well you can combat this whole gender issue by having a protagonist who's first person and you can't see if they're a guy or a girl and it used to really annoy me when you'd see a shadow or someone could look at themselves and then something like you know the doom little face thing where he gets punched (laughs) up and it's like that didn't have to be a guy's face with like a crew cut like the guy from Mindhunter because it's like um it doesn't matter who you are because you're just the doom person just going around trying to you know kill these horrible monsters and um there's loads of other games like that like portal i can't remember whether portal ever shows you what you look like you're in a suit i think aren't you but you can be any gender you can be any denomination of person any race what have you to play that game um there's quite a few like that where i just think so hang on the issue here perhaps is the gamers which is that we are all projecting ourselves into the person but actually we don't mind if we actually can't see the person as long as we feel like we can project our, ourselves does, does that make sense um, yeah i mean it, it, it does like yeah it's, i think i think important you do actually play as a woman um do you play as a woman i do love it I, so much so maybe yeah, that's I mean, why <laughs> yeah 
it's one of the games that really stresses me out because I'm really terrible at like puzzle and logic games. So I, I remember playing it and thinking, oh yeah, this is this is really like interesting and stuff, but I cannot do this game. I have to get like, again my younger <laughs> brother just to come and like do this game for me because I'm such an idiot. But I don't know actually, if you've ever gone through to the end of it, but one of my all-time favourite gaming moments is when, and I can't remember if it's Portal or Portal 2. It's Portal. It's, it's at the very end where the game has taught you to do all of this shit for, like, hours, and then it wants you to go off-grid. And I remember that blew my mind. I'm like, oh, my God, I, I can't follow this anymore. I'm going to get killed. I'm going to get burned in this furnace if I don't go against everything we've taught me. And it's like, I do think Portal is one of the greatest games ever made because it's like it teaches you all the rules and then it teaches you to break them. And I think that was almost the start of open world gaming so in, in, or, or making it mainstream let's say I'm not an expert in, in yeah, all I of mean, that it's, it's interesting it's an interesting game and it's an interesting where it comes in the kind of that period of, of games and what, it, what it's trying to do uh, being I don't I mean I don't really know anything about these sorts of games in terms of like it's a very self-conscious game and very very self-reflexive in that in that sense um but interesting actually like I've been thinking about what you said about this sneaking thing, and I know that <laughs> because this, this, this is something that often, um, often comes down to gender dynamics as well, because it's always, or well, not always, it's very often, I mean, you know, other than maybe like games like Metal Gear Solid, where, where you're always you know, sneaking, yeah. yeah, yeah. But for the most part, um, when you are forced to play as a woman in a, in a game or a certain game, I'm thinking, I'm, I am thinking of a specific example, where you are forced into these positions of non-combat uh, or defensiveness. So I was thinking about um, in oh, the Assassin's Creed Assassin's Creed Syndicate, the, the first, I'm pretty sure it was the first one where you start, you have the option of playing as the brother or the sister, the Fry twins. And when you're playing as... as um, Jacob Fry, you're very much like active and action. Mm. And then when you're playing as his sister, Evie Fry, you're much more, it's, it's much more um, expected that you're playing in a kind of defensive or a sneak, sneaking kind of mode and, and a non, non-combative way. And even games like um, Bioshock, Bioshock Infinite, where um, you know, when they, they release the, um, the uh, oh God, the, the, the downloadable content, the Burial at Sea exp- expansion, mm-hmm. yeah ending of the game um and you can finally play as elizabeth in this character who's going to be following you around the entire game you can finally play as her it's you're kind of encouraged to play in a sort of you're sneaking around you're trying not to get into confrontation and to me like that only made me want to play her more violently (laughs) buying these massive like shotguns and like you know use them because it's it's trying to suggest that because you know because you're playing as a woman which i mean these are video games. Like the only constraints are the kind of the the technology and the rules. You know, it, it, there's no reason to have a woman who is frail in, in the game, other than the fact that you programmed her to be frail, and so she should probably be sneaking around, not getting into fights. You are a hundred percent correct because that's all about women in real life and how most of the time we are biologically, physically weaker. But you're you you yeah, you've really nailed it. Which is that in a game. You, you can even look, it's like superhero narrative, you can even look yeah. weaker and it doesn't mean you are weaker. So, yeah, that's just, um, that's real life um, 
uh, misogyny kind of coming into the gaming world. And I suspect that's probably because a lot of these games are created by male coders as well. So um, I don't know. It seems to me when you were talking about for your PhD that most of the, the, the he- I don't know who it is, like the head games designer, whoever, the, whatever the equivalent is, the showrunner, I'm guessing, for a game, seems to mm. be men each time. Um, for Rockstar, as far, I mean, yeah. they are this kind of, um, they're this sort of, I guess, publicity shy in terms of the people who actually work there at the top company, and they will only really speak to the press when you know, they're um, promoting a game or when there's some reason for them to speak to the press. So we don't really kind of know exactly the dynamic of what goes on, but for the most part, we, we, we know, I guess, that the, the executives and studio heads and the main writers for the games are all male. Um, and as far as I know, all, all white male. But this doesn't reflect, obviously, the um, the actual people who are making making the game, like the game developers, the game designers, on the kind of um, the ground level. The people, the people who are actually building these games. You know, there are there are loads, of, you know, plenty of women who who work at, at Rockstar North or at Rockstar NYC. You know, actually actually making games like yeah. Red Dead Two. Um, but then, you know, on the flip side of that, you have things like the. Um, the, the gender pay gap report in the UK gaming industry, which finds that Rockstar North is one of the worst studios in terms of its gender pay gap, and only a very small percentage of its um, kind of upper, upper uh, highest kind of pay bracket or most senior employees are women mm. compared, compared to men. Um, so, I mean, yeah, as far as I know, in terms of who's writing these games and who's having this kind of um, overarching sense of creative control or at least this is the, the what is projected it's people like like dan hauser who who has written i think the majority of the games and who is the co-founder of the company with mm-hmm. his brother sam hauser who is still the, the the president of Rockstar, still kind of retains the complete overarching control um and up until sort of um oh god when was it in 2016 the, the studio head at Rockstar north was leslie benzies until he left in a particularly um spectacularly uh legal battle way um which probably I'm not even worth getting into but <laughs> yeah so but again still you know the, the, the head of the studio now at um heads of studio now at Los North and then and in Los San Diego you know so it's it's interesting that you know you don't have very many high profile women who are speaking to the press in a in a the capacity of yeah you know this kind of auteur capacity that you see in 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 certain video game studios and with certain figures in the games industry as kind of occupying this role of showrunner, you know, the equivalent of showrunner, and really performing this um, sense of creative control and authorship over these games and what is... And, and it's interesting because Rockstar, like, these people who work at Rockstar, the executives, have been very, very keen um, throughout the company's history to emphasise the, the we of Rockstar and the fact that this is a company that's made up of teams of hundreds, you know, maybe thousands of people who work at different studios um, across the globe, but, you know, there's the same men again and again who are the ones giving the interviews, talking about the games in this kind of um, authorial capacity. They're probably Um, not always, as you said earlier, though, at the coalface. I think part of the issue here with gaming is, is all of this unconscious bias that's just everywhere, which is, you know, to some extent that, that fewer women are playing games or want to play games, and so therefore you cater to what you think is your main audience and everyone would prefer to see themselves, perhaps. And also just, I I don't want this conversation to feel like that we're just blaming 
all that. Not that I'm saying you're saying that at all. You're not. But I'm just saying that what I'm saying is, um, uh, I'm not saying I blame. I blame all of the the heads who are talking to the the press about all the games or even anyone who comes up with an overarching plot uh, for for these games it's more that um the problem with unconscious bias is all the female and and male uh games designers at the coalface will 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 just be doing things which are based on tropes because that's how you know we're all trying to break out of this shell now it's um and it's something that everybody needs to do together but I truly believe that the more women you have voicing their opinion the more the male designers just think oh yeah we can do that I don't know if you've played um Lost Legacy from Uncharted I haven't, no. Yeah, so the Uncharted franchise, I'd heard about it for ages, and I was so pro Lara Croft that I've played, you know, virtually every iteration of a Tomb Raider game, including the stupid mobile game that I had um, from... uh, not Idos, whoever whoever makes the little games, just because I'd just yeah, do yeah. anything to do with Lara Croft. And um, uh, the, so I started playing Uncharted because I was like, well, this is similar. Although I did enjoy people saying it was the male Lara Croft for Nathan Drake. Yeah. yeah. But um, there's the latest game that, they, that they've done, and I don't know to what extent it was as successful as Uncharted 4, which is unfortunately probably making the case against me, um, was had two female protagonists. And uh, one was South Africa, Black South Africa, African and uh, the other was Australian Indian and she actually became more Indian in the games so it's quite a clever way to do it because I think they'd use mocap and things like that with the with the actress mm. voicing her and um, it was exactly the same if anything it was probably better because it was the most recent iteration of the game so the, the gameplay was a little bit more opening and, and you know other things were happening which I really like um, and it was just this is exactly the same but but two women and it, it would it just blew my mind because I I thought what people actually want is the gameplay with the with the witcher going back to the witcher like i love Geralt. um all his sexy conquests he has with all the women the women were all still pretty powerful because of this whole magic witchy thing but obviously that's an 18 rated game which is trading off of you know, the, the the fact that everyone's shagging all the time, which I have no problem yeah. with whatsoever. Yeah. And and to be honest, Siri kind of got on my nerves, so I didn't really want to play as her anyway. Um, but at least I had other women that, you know, I'd play as Yen. If they had a Yennefer game, I'd be like, woohoo, I'd love yeah. that. Um, uh, but my, my, my point here, I just went off <laughs> one then. My point there, again, was that... Um, I do think the studios are learning. I, I, I don't know whether Rockstar is, because um, it's Naughty Dog that um, that makes Uncharted. Mm. But I, I just thought, wow, I really don't care within reason who the protagonist is. I want them to be a woman because that, that, that's, you know, that's what I go for. I want to see that more. But actually... I, um, I don't see why we can't just have more more women in there just to balance out things because in the end I don't think that's what gamers care about too much. You could have had an alternate history um with Red Dead Redemption where they're all women. Uh, I wonder if uh, I still feel like that maybe that would have been blocked by just gender stereotyping or oh, this isn't real. I what I what one of the things that really, I think, is a missed opportunity, perhaps, or something that just frustrates me with Red Dead 2 is the fact that, you know, you have so much promotion and, and really the, the relationship between Arthur and Sadie is one of the more developed relationships in the game towards the end, and especially in the the, the epilogue, you know, the ridiculously long epilogue of the game, <laughs> where, you know, she ends up cultivating this relationship with, um, with John. I 
I do not understand why you didn't have Arthur, you know, Arthur dying, and then you take over as Sadie. Because it would have, you know, John Marston, like, as much as I really, you know, I love the character John Marston, and it's interesting to see him, I know, like, the, the beginning of the relationship that he has with, with Abigail Which and turns and into Red Dead Redemption. Redemption, yes. Yeah, it, it's yeah. literally, you get to the end of, of Red Dead 2, and it's like, well, this is just Red Dead 1 now with updated graphics. Like, why <laughs> couldn't we have just continued? Because you're, you're only then at the end, you know, exploring, doing the things that you didn't do as part of you know, the optional stuff. Why is it so impossible for Rockstar to have put you as Sadie? Yeah, like, when they like, built it up. That's, you, you're right, because it's not only... It, it, that's cutting their nose off to spite their face, because they created this Sadie character, and she went on a journey. And mm. they could have had all sorts of... like They could have had a number of sexist plots that still would have been fine, <laughs> where it's just guys going, what the hell do you think you're doing? And then she just beats them up, and, you know, we're, we're, we're happy. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's really interesting that you spend so long as John Marston in that epilogue, building a house or doing all these really, really mundane things, which I think is a really, really interesting design choice anyway. Whereas you could have been playing Sadie, doing the kind of stuff that you assume people would want to do, like, you know, being a bounty hunter. There's nothing to do with Sadie in those missions anyway. But yeah, like, have, facing this kind of, oh, you're a woman, why are you a bounty hunter? Like, you know, you could still have, you could still see how the world reacts to her as a exactly. female, as a, as a bounty hunter. But like, why is it that what you're actually spending a lot of time doing is these really, really? I mean, you know, I, I, I'm not saying that it was a bad epilogue, but I'm saying that you do, you know, they, they program these like, minute details of like mundanity and everyday frontier, like domestic life, which is interesting. But why is that supposed to be, you know, why is a man doing that more appealing than a woman? having the chance to go out and actually like do some action yeah you know? like, yeah i think that, that that's that, that's something that's come up as well when um nick who sometimes hosts podcast with me when we compare our gaming experiences i wonder if there's another gender issue here which is about um games also putting their gender into specific roles which are much more violent and aggressive both in um the epilogue of red dead redemption 2 and the witcher 3 nick was Mm. much keener on the parts which involved keeping house so the 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 dlc blood and wine uh for the witcher is where um and, and nick honestly went to town on creating his dream villa with all these places to hang your armor like (laughs) honestly that was one of my favorite DLCs. again because i i am the sort of like i am the sort of player who will spend an inordinate amount of time on like the domestic stuff like well you see i'm not this was the point i was (laughs) wanting to make which is that i'm like no i want to go out on adventures i keep house here and it's it's great thanks in the real world and i enjoy (laughs) making my own house but honestly after a while i'm not as excited about it and you could there's a minecrafty kind of thread running through that as well but that's girls and boys but nick honestly thoroughly enjoyed it he's like i'm doing this i'm doing that and he's an organized organized person so he likes to do that and honestly with that and and John Marston's house, I'm like, I couldn't care less. Go out and do some <laughs> stuff. Or people come and try and threaten your house, fine. And and I think that speaks to the fact that there are plenty of male gamers out there who might want to do something within a game that is considered a a female task. Mm, you know, which is yeah. keeping house or you know, things that involve um 
like symmetry problem solving something that involves organization sometimes I feel like in gaming male characters are chaotic and female mm-hmm. characters have to keep it together when in, in fact the gender should be able to play any way they want there's this weird weird stereotyping of types of gameplay yeah, but I think it's also interesting that, I mean, so many people have written about this, like this, the fact that in the last few years we've seen the rise of um, what is often referred to as like the dadification of video games, and this is kind of, <laughs> this is kind of related, but kind of tangential, and the fact that you're seeing, you know, just uh, an increasing number, you were at some point seeing an increasing number of games in which you were playing as, as, a, as a man, and you were playing in some kind of like paternal role of a young daughter do i hear the last of us that's what this sounds like (laughs) or or, you know you have a young son like you're 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 playing this kind of paternal role and you're usually playing as like a middle-aged man you know we're talking about yeah the the last of us like the walking dead the the telltale um yes you know all all of these or or god of war even is the is the god of the sun yeah um and you're 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 sort of having this kind of um yeah this 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 kind of playing as this father role and and you know a lot of the um the, the kind of the journalistic articles around it are like you know the the age the average age of game players is increasing i think the average age of like male and female players is like in the mid-30s now anyway just you know globally and you know so and also the average age of then the people who are making games is is increasing so you know the fact that games are reflecting these much more um I guess domestic or these these different. You know, it's not all about running around and shooting people anymore. You know, not that it ever always was. You know what I mean? But it's they're, they're dealing with these very kind of complicated and perhaps nuanced things in again really problematic and stereotypical ways. But it's it's a reflection of the fact that when you when you perhaps perceive that your audience might want to play something different, there's no stopping you from doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I yeah, I mean. I, yeah, I just think that, you know, like, like you were saying before, it's, it's, it's a lot to do with unconscious bias and it's a lot to do with, you know, no, I don't think anyone actually sits down and decides we are going to make a game that is now really, really you know, negatively stereotyping this or, you know, kind of toxic. Like, honestly, I mean, I mean, maybe some people do. Okay. But in general, <laughs> it's just about... What, Grand Theft you know, Auto? Kill those prostitutes! <laughs> Take those drugs! <laughs> even then, I think, I think with Rockstar, like, I think... And especially how I just, I found it incredible when I was playing Red Dead 2, how somber this game was. And even though oh, there yeah. are still moments where it feels so, like, ridiculous and cynical and tiny cheap and very rock star, it was, it was actually a really, like, it did feel like a really serious game in a way that the previous games had, had all been about poking fun at things and, you know, and supposedly, you know, taking, taking the piss, really. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think it's not, you know, just to, to kind of, back to Rockstar I guess it's it's not that they sat down and they were like oh we're going to intentionally make a game that's super regressive in terms of representing the history of the American West it's just the fact that they were they were caught in the the double mind of having to make a game that was a prequel to Red Dead Redemption so it kind of did you know fit fit into that they had to make a Rockstar game quote unquote which means that a particular brand association (laughs) and expectations of what it is that means and you know their games have always been about masculinity and moments and things. And then you're locked into um, you're locked into this wider cultural history of the Western, which has all kinds of not only you know positive and negative representations, but all kinds of cultural baggage and you know un- un- unconscious or conscious ideological baggage. 
And when we look at the kind of the the, the sort of westerns that we get now in the last, I guess, what, 10, 10 years or mm-hmm. so, all the, all the films, the western films that have come out since that, you know, and TV shows that we think about Westworld that claim to have been inspired by the first Red Dead Redemption, they are all about masculinity and for the most part white masculinity at least you know the very the very mainstream or the very critically acclaimed films like um you know the revenant or the ballad of buster scruggs or um the sisters brothers and slow west and you know they are they're all a particular kind of western okay maybe i'm tying more with the same brush like i'm not saying there's not nuance but they are telling a very very one-sided story for the most part there Um, are more female ones i would step in and say now that um i do feel like um there's godless on netflix there's um there's some kathy reichardt kind of films that i I actually do think there are more female-fronted western films in the modern age but but certainly not not enough of them and the audience are not going to them in the droves that they are for all the ones you you just mentioned like Helen Highwater which is a film I love was nominated yeah. for an Oscar but the 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 female characters in that are minimal and terribly um uh, portrayed so um yeah, I, I do I do think it is I do think it is happening but I think that um I think there's a real like like it, for example, I've done quite a lot of um, this podcast related to horror, and that is a genre where you can play about with gender, race, what have you. You can use discrimination as part of the reason um, for horror. But I think Westerns as a genre in gaming and um, cinema and TV, it's really hard to um, get out of those stereotypes which seem... Like, gender roles are really entrenched within that world in a way you don't see in other things so i'm guessing maybe that's part of the issue yeah well, i mean this, this is this is really you know you mentioned um like there was unique cutoff you know, in the yes. same year as the first red redemption and you know it is kind of seen as this this kind of i said Ke- kathy reichardt kelly reichardt sorry yeah, <laughs> yeah but, you know, has, has this more um female has um sorry has a more female gaze or a female look on the western and you've got yeah. um, that natalie, natalie portman um uh, film, you know, Jane Got a Gun, and you have, you know, Godless, but you know, Jane Got a Gun was basically packed. Um, yes, and it went through development hell, it had all different yeah, possible directors you know. and, and um, cast and what have you, and there was a female script and then there was a male script, and yeah, I think yeah. that unfortunately that was a potential. That could have been something amazing and, and was relegated to a very average film, which I didn't hate, but then um, I can't remember who the female director was going to be, but I was so excited when I thought. It's yeah. going to be a female director. Was it Catherine Hardwick? I don't know. Anyway, sorry. No, again, but even like, um, even Godless that you mentioned, you know, again, I, a Netflix thing that I was like, oh my God, you know, the strap line for it is, um, is no man's land. You know, the fact that all of the men in this town have died in this big mining accident. So it was supposed to, it was all the like, spin was there was supposed to be about women in the West. And I was like, right, yeah, I am 100% here for this. But then you watch it. The first episode particularly. <laughs> it's almost entirely about yeah. the, the relationship between um, Jeff. Oh, my God, I've forgotten his name. What's his name? Jeff. Um, oh, my God. Like, oh, this was like a year ago, so I don't remember. I just remember just Michelle um, thingy, isn't it? Dockery. So <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah, him, him and, and this is going to sound really terrible. The guy from, like, Dumb and Dumber. What's his name? Jeff Daniels. 
Yes, John. Oh my God. But I love Jeff Daniel. It's like acts are terrible for like having. Don't it's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Accidentally forgetting male names isn't something I'm gonna chastise you for. Yeah, but you know that the entire show then kind of it revolves around the paternal again kind of pseudo paternal relationship, and even the the showrunner for it came out and was like, oh, you know, it's meant to be a show about fathers and sons. It's not meant to be about women. So. (laughs) We should have been called manless, not godless. Then we would have got what we wanted. For as long as I can remember, my planet has been under siege. I devoted my life to saving it. I will outrun the enemy. Outfight the enemy. Destroy the enemy. Risk everything. Even my life. Because the government sworn to protect this planet is the enemy. My name is Jade. And I'm a traitor. But the question I wanted to ask you was, with all your research, and, you know, congratulations again on your doctorate. It's it's very <laughs> exciting always to talk to a, to a doctor um, on this podcast. And what, what do you recommend, if anyone's listening who has any kind of influence in the game industry, in terms of gender representation for future games that are made by Rockstar or whomever and are historical or modern is there any are there any like quick wins or, or complicated wins slow wins i mean higher higher women higher non-binary people <laughs> higher people who are not just men who, who do and higher people of color because yes. like they are there are so many like and, and you see it in some indie games you see it in some mainstream games there are so many wonderful rich stories that could you know that deserve to have the kind of triple a treatment and they, they really do. And I mean, I'm obviously, of course, now struggling to think of anything that I could use as a good example. But <laughs> I don't think I, I don't think I need to because honestly, I, I just think that it's it's about the kind of who, who gets the who gets the creative control to to write these stories. I mean, you know, there there are loads of women working in gaming, loads of really high profile women working in gaming who are making, not enough. <laughs> but <laughs> we yeah, say I'm, loads, but we mean more than before, right? Still, surely a fraction. Of the people across the industry, I think it's it's who I, I I don't know about actual kind of like statistics, but I think it's it's more a case of who is being um, who gets the publicity. You know, we yeah. we hear almost every movement that like Hideo Kojima makes about you know and about Death Stranding and all this kind of you know all these like, these big male auteur game makers, but. Yes. We still basically forget that women have been really, really important historically as well in the game industry and are still important. And, you know, women get into the, the media for the wrong reasons when it comes to gaming culture and the gaming industry, when they're targets for harassment or, yes. you know, some kind of, you know, really celebrated for their successes or even remembered for their successes in the same way that, you know, men men are. And that has to do with the way that we deal with game history on a, on a popular level, mm-hmm. not, not because there are people obviously doing this work to recover and write about women who were important in the games industry and, and, and computing and things like that. But yeah. it's about the kind of attention and, and the, the breadth of attention that we give to 
a few of the word not just men um yeah, just something quickly I want to say just for people listening is that uh, I didn't want this discussion that we had today to, to be anything to do with Gamergate. I think that's a really important thing yeah. that I've kind of, to, to a certain extent, dealt with in a previous episode of the podcast. But also this season is all about celebrating the positives and what women can do, whether that's behind the scenes in gaming or whether it's just mm. characters who, who, who we like and what they do and if maybe they haven't been portrayed well enough and how we can improve things um but Gamergate all all of the stuff that's happening at the moment there's some horrible stuff happening um I want to acknowledge it but I don't want it to have any reflection on what we're talking about here because um this is about positive steps forward which I'm guessing was the whole reason you decided to study for your PhD in the first place I can't imagine it was just because you wanted to say oh look History sexist, so are games based on history. I feel like that's something that you couldn't have spent a few years on. Yeah, I, I really, I really didn't go into it. You know, I, I went into it as someone who had grown up playing games. Um, kind of didn't didn't really think that I was going to end up, you know, doing research into history and video games. Um, but you know, with the, with the topic that I picked, with the company that I picked to profile, it's just it's a kind of unavoidable byproduct of, do, of doing research and looking really closely at what's happening and yeah trying to I mean for all that I'm you know I'm saying these things it's not that I think these games are, are terrible or I think that there's not really great things to be celebrated about them it just it's just about expecting a little bit more um yeah. and something that I think things that I guess could be achieved with just a little bit more thought to nuance and you know just looking kind of beyond the the very particular parameters of of what you think or what you what you think people might expect from a historical game. Exactly, and also just consultation. I I, mm. I, I keep banging this drum. It's like. It, it just just get some female focus groups get some people in in a room to talk about it at the kind of the the the, the game plotting stage it it seems it seems so easy to me to just get some feedback in and if you hear enough of it whether a male or female or non-binary gamer you you know it's um i think that can only be a good thing um i have two more questions so my my uh, first of the final questions is um, what games are you looking forward to coming out in the future just generally and also whether you think maybe there's some that um, uh, might be better for the whole gender issue here oh my god Um, (laughs) are you looking forward to Death Stranding I've bought the damn thing I accidentally bought it (laughs) instead of reserving it and didn't find out it's coming until November and now I'm like I don't even know what this game's gonna be I'm so very is, confused I I don't know I so I am really interested in it because I I'm really interested in Kojima not necessarily his games like I'm not you know I I find Metal Gear games interesting but I'm not kind of like this uber fan but I'm interested in his kind of the persona that he he crafts online and, and about him being kind of a cinephile and all this sort of his very his cultural literacy so and, and I'm also, I mean, I'm, because of what I do with Rockstar, and so one of my interests, sort of academically speaking, is this sort of, I guess, convergence or overlap between cinema and gaming and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm kind of, I kind of am wanting to play Death Stranding, but the more that, like, we see about, you know, actresses and actors who are in it, and the more 
information that's being revealed about it, I'm like, oh. Because I initially, <laughs> when, when I found out that, like, um, Mass Mika film was going to be in it, I was like, oh, my God, that's, that's it. Like, I'm there. I can find this game. Because, you know, that, that, that was it. I sold it. And now I'm like, oh, this is going to be such a, such a Kojima game. And It might take you like, out of it as well. When I watched all the trailers, I'm like, oh, I'm kind of... I'm feeling yes. uncomfortable. I'm creeped out, <laughs> but also these really look like the people. Um, yeah, yeah, it's almost. But then I have a weird issue with. Um, I don't want things to look too realistic. I actually think we're going into. I suppose. The, the, do you like the idea of VR? I'm still kind of. Mm, about it. Do you know? I still, I still haven't tried VR at all, which is is ridiculous. And I'm really, I really want to try La Noir in VR because they, they released it to me. 17, I think, and I would love to have have a look at that. But I kind of like the idea of it, but I don't know if I can yet see myself sitting down in my living room with a you know a PSVR system or you know sitting out standing up in my living room. I don't know if I'm entirely there yet. Like, there's no games that have come out that I've been like, right, I have to buy a VR system just for this. Yeah. Um, me too. Yeah. yeah I, it's a shame because I, you know, I. It's not that I think it's it's rubbish or anything like that. I just, I mean, even with games, I'm, I'm trying to think of any game that's coming out. Well, there could uh, be VR. I don't, I don't know about VR, but I've been waiting for goddamn six years for The Last of Us Two to come out. And <laughs> if we want to talk about a game that you know, like, um, started off with some really traditional parental roles and then ends up being the kind of extra um was it DLC or was it part of the game already the extra additional kind of um, DLC, yeah. yeah teenage lesbian mm-hmm. romance thing which was like mind-blowing and, and and frankly to be honest I don't think the gameplay was as good as the main game but really set it up for a games company thinking about different ways of telling a story and I and I I totally think that that's going to be um, yeah. good for um, uh, LGBTQ and race issues and gender issues so there's a lot on their shoulders there but they've taken the sweet time I don't know whether VR I don't even think it's a factor with it but that's just the game yeah. I'm really looking forward to and no, the times are ticking sorry. So. sorry no no not with you with them getting it out six years yeah <laughs> I, no, I, I'm trying to think yeah I'm trying to think of any game I mean, I'm sure, like, I always do this, I go, what, what am I actually waiting for when I forget something really major? But to be honest, since I finished the PhD, um, I just, I've done nothing but occasionally go hunting on Red Dead 2 and just, like, aggressively play The Sims 4, because it was so <laughs> far removed. And, I, and I, I love The Sims. I grew up playing, like, the original Sims, like, Sims 2, so, like, The Sims 4, when the Origin gave it away free a couple of months ago, I was like, right, that's it, I'm there. And it has just taken up so much of my time like even when I was like, finishing my PhD I was like oh, I'm just not playing the same but it was it's just like this complete like I, and I just love like building houses again like really weirdly domestic things like interior designing and stuff I so yeah I mean The Sims is just occupied my time and, and to be honest like yeah for the most part of that, I've mostly blocked games Oh, I don't blame you when you've spent all of this time. Um, yeah, and I, th- I think uh, did I did I um no my last question my last question would be um so what's what's next for you what do you next want to kind of like study or something is there anything else you're interested in in the gaming world a question you've always wanted to ask Yeah, well I I have two sort of projects that I really um that I'm, I'm looking to pursue essentially I. 
I really want to do something or work more on Rockstar as, as a company and as, as, like on the Rockstar brand, yes. looking at the way that this brand is going to become consolidated and the kind of the, um, the aspect of it. It was something that I did a little bit in, in my thesis because it was, it was fundamental to the way that I was looking at these games, understanding how they were Rockstar products. But it's something that I would, I would love to kind of like get deeper into and really, you know, write a book on Rockstar and their brand. But, and I would also love to look more broadly at the, the, the promotion of historical video games more across the board. So expanding out from just looking at, you know, these two very specific games that I look at in my thesis and looking at how it is that games that are about particular period in history or about some, something to do with the past are, how are they sold? Like what kinds of, you know, how are they branded as authentic? How are people um, talking about them? What, what is it that people are being told to expect and how does that differ between a mainstream game or an indie game? Um, what kinds of things are, yeah, what kind of, what kind of expectations are being created um, in these sort of promotional discourses before players can even get their hands on the games itself you know well they both sound like things that that one you you know you have the expertise in and two like are things <laughs> that other people would want to know and seem completely doable so I think you can live your dreams <laughs> and if not we can always find a game for you to do that in. Yeah, well, but, yeah. or maybe as a male play. <laughs> yeah. is there anything else you want to say um I don't think so I'm trying to think of anything yeah. Oh, I don't know. It's been an hour and a half, but it's gone by in the blink of an eye. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's just been so nice to talk to somebody about um about all of this because I, I do think that the majority of people I talk to about gaming are guys. I have to say, a lot of my friends are just not <laughs> my female friends are just not interested or, or certainly not interested in the level of detail. I've always wanted to kind of, you know, talk about morality and and uh you know frustrations in battle and and things like that so um it's been really nice to have someone else who's such an expert to kind of bounce off of so esther wright thank you so much for your time thank you for having me on you're welcome thanks again to esther for an amazing chat and thank you to all of the guests that we've had in this season of Beyond Beckdale. I'd like to also thank again Andrew Evans for the music that he's provided, which I think is quite jolly and adds something nice to the pod. Um, we're going to take a bit of a pause now because Nick and I are actually thinking of working on another podcast. So I'm going to try and do a Christmas episode because everybody really likes that. And then we will come up with a teaser in the new year. As always, you can email us at beyondbeck at gmail.com. That's beyond B-E-C-H. Or you can tweet us at beyond underscore Beckdale. Have an amazing rest of your year. Your continued support and listening to the podcast means the world to us. See you on the other side.